Welcome to the Sovereign Soul Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Arzu Babri. In this community, we embark on a journey towards self-discovery in order to reclaim our sovereignty and live a life rich in connection, meaning, and purpose. Welcome back everyone and thank you for being here with me today. I hope that all of you who are listening are feeling grounded and whole wherever you are in the world. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the very important topic of emotional mastery and what we will cover are some basic definitions to help distinguish between some key terms to make more sense of this topic, followed by a brief look at the neurobiology, spirituality, and quantum physics of emotions, and finally some ways in which you can begin to gain self-mastery over your emotional state. Now, if you guys remember back to my episode on letting go, I mentioned that once you master the art of letting go, you become a master at living life. And on the same note, letting go is just one component of emotional mastery because most of the time we are learning to let go of various emotional states that keep us feeling stuck in life. So if we keep zooming out from that perspective, emotional mastery becomes a component of self-regulation, which is a component of self-awareness, which translates into authentic self-expression, which finally allows us to live a life that is aligned and meaningful. And if you are listening to this podcast, you're already on that journey. So we are just continuing to build on previous concepts more and more as time goes by. So self-regulation and emotional mastery both involve the ability to manage and monitor our cognitive, emotional, and motivational resources so that we can move forward in life instead of becoming stuck or stagnant. So gaining emotional mastery allows us to strengthen our capacity to control our thoughts, emotions, and actions, which play a very intimate role with one another as our thoughts can influence our emotions, which in turn can influence our behavior. So through gaining the ability to regulate our emotions, we gain the ability to handle various life stressors and challenges and even problem solve more effectively. We learn to respond to life instead of reacting to it. And we get a good handle on acting in accordance with our values. And having emotional mastery doesn't mean that no eventful experience will ever take place in your life ever again. It simply means that when the inevitable and impactful experiences do come up, that you have both the maturity and the wisdom to overcome them more effectively. So developing emotional mastery is sort of similar to learning how to surf because when you are in the ocean's territory, you can't really stop the waves from rolling in, but what you can do is learn to surf more gracefully along with the waves instead of drowning. And yes, there are definitely going to be times where you still fall off of your surfboard, but someone who's skilled at their art doesn't quit each time they fall off. They get up and they perfect that art. So gaining emotional mastery helps you to show up in life in a more empowered state and a component of enhancing any skill is practice and exposure. So this means you will need to grow through many different situations and circumstances in order to achieve this end goal. Now, the reason why many people struggle with their mood and their emotional health is because they lack 
emotional regulation, which often shows up as misinterpreting their emotional reactions in the first place, along with not knowing how to regulate their emotional outbursts or reacting under various pressures, which result in all the negative consequences that we see taking place in most people's lives. So let's get into some basic definitions to help us distinguish between various terms that are often used interchangeably, but are very different. So emotions are like raw data that are felt in the body and they're often short-lived but intense and have an identifiable cause. And I'm sure you guys have noticed that there is almost a, a spectrum that exists when it comes to emotional regulation because different people interpret this raw data differently. And our ability to process complex information can also be reflected in our ability to process our emotions because we are able to use the information that is presented to us as a guide to influence our own thoughts and behaviors. And this will all make more sense as we carry on with this episode. So let's move on to some more distinguishing definitions. So the difference between a thought and an emotion is that thoughts often take place at the level of the brain or the mind and emotions are a full body experience. There are subjective experience that result in a physiological response and a behavioral response that often follows. Now, the more important distinction that I want to make is the one between feelings and emotions, because feelings are our conscious experience of our emotional reactions. Feelings are the interpretation and the labels we give to our emotional experiences. So in essence, it's the emotion that sparks a feeling. And oftentimes our feelings are the result of attaching stories and thoughts to the original emotion that we experienced. Now, there are only a handful of primary emotions, which include happiness, sadness, fear, anger, and disgust. And some examples of emotions versus feelings include sadness would be an emotional state that is accompanied by feelings of grief or hopelessness. Anger is an emotional state that can be accompanied by feelings of rage, frustration, and hostility. And happiness would again be an emotional state that can be accompanied by feelings of inspiration, creativity, or hope. And there's a a wide variety of feelings, but these are just some ideas to help distinguish between the two. So most of the time, what we see happening is that people's initial emotional states becomes buried over time. And Oftentimes this ends up impacting their mood. So whenever that transition takes place from an initial emotional state into a mood, now we're in a situation where it's a much milder sensation, but longer lasting, and it becomes more difficult to identify the original cause. And then furthermore, our mood begins to seep into our daily behavior and thought patterns. And once that solidifies, it begins to shape our personality. So this is why it's very important to gain emotional mastery because you're addressing the problem at the root. But on that same note, when these things are left unaddressed for long periods of time, it becomes very difficult for most people to trace back from a current mental health state to an original emotional state because it's been left for such a long time that it has become a part of their personality and they can't separate themselves from a thought feeling or emotional state and most often these individuals believe they are their emotions or their thoughts when in fact that's just a component of who they are so those were just some really brief definitions to help distinguish between those various terms that will come into into play when we start to discuss this idea of gaining emotional mastery. So for now, let's move into the neurobiology. 
So let's talk about what happens in the body when we experience an emotion. So a stimulus has to take place that activates the neural systems, which result in a physiological response. So the experience of that physiological response results in an emotion. So let's break this down into a little bit more detail. So let's use fear as an example. If we have a trigger, which can be a mental or a physical trigger, this stimulates the amygdala in the brain, which sets off an alarm in the body that alerts the hypothalamus and obviously various other structures in the adrenal glands. And what happens is we have a release of epinephrine or more commonly known um, as adrenaline that causes increases in heart rate, breathing rate. It causes you to sweat, your pupils to dilate and a very variety of other biological changes that take place to initiate this fight or flight response. Now, anger, on the other hand, causes the muscles in your body to tense up and neurotransmitters like catecholamines to be released, causing a burst of energy. And if you remember back to last week's episode on happiness, I did go over some of the neurotransmitters involved with in happiness as well, including dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, and endorphins. So just by these few examples, you can see that emotions are controlled by the levels of different chemicals in the brain. There is no one chemical for each emotion because there are dozens of these neurotransmitters or chemical messengers that are um, active at any given moment in time. So there is a very different chemical cocktail that accompanies each emotional state and results in the various body sensations that we experience. So to give a really brief synopsis of kind of the brain regions involved, emotions are lower level responses that occur in the subcortical regions of the brain and the neocortex. So the amygdala that we covered is part of the limbic system and it plays a very important role in emotions and fear. And then the neocortex is involves the prefrontal cortices, which is more so involved with uh, conscious thoughts, reasoning, and decision-making. Now, what complicates things for most people is that they don't know how to regulate this initial chemical reaction that is stimulated within the body. So if we were to go back to our example using anger, let's say a situation happens that makes you angry, which is registered as a threat to your safety by the brain. And often this part happens without your conscious awareness of it taking place. And what is likely to happen next is that you probably perpetuate your emotional state by making assumptions about the situation, which makes you even angrier. And then you act on that anger, depending on your adaptive nervous system response, which is either to fight, flight, freeze, or please. And if you guys remember back to episode 13 titled the inner child, I did go over these various responses as well. So that in a very quick nutshell is the neurobiology of emotions. Now moving on to the spiritual and quantum physics of emotions, there are two main universal laws that I want to cover when it comes to emotions in this episode in particular. The first is one that you have all heard me reference several times in the past, and that is that everything in existence has a vibrational frequency. So just to give you guys an idea, As we see on the color spectrum, the frequency of visible light can range from 400 to 700 terahertz. The frequency of sound is anywhere between 20 to 20,000 hertz. And even our heartbeat emits an energetic frequency through both the pulse rate and the various heart sounds. So on this same note, each emotion has a particular frequency that it vibrates at. And The effects of this energetic frequency along with the biochemical changes within the body result in the different sensations that accompany these various emotions. 
And if we were to look at the word emotion more carefully, we could trace it back to the Latin origin of the word emovea, which translates into move through or energy in motion. So emotions are the experience of energy moving through the body. And what we see is low frequency emotions like fear have long, slow wavelengths and have been shown to activate fewer DNA coding sites than high frequency emotions like love that have short, fast wavelengths and activate more DNA coding sites. So not only are we feeling a sensation within our body, but our emotional states are impacting our genetic makeup as well. So just as an example, when you feel joy, your mood becomes uplifted, your body feels expansive, and your mental outlook on life is a more positive one versus a feeling of sadness is felt more densely and and heavily in the body whereby your energy may decrease and you may not want to engage in activities that you were previously interested in and your thoughts begin to cycle around more negative patterns of thinking. So the second spiritual or universal law and in terms of kind of the quantum physics behind emotions that I want to link to emotions today is the law of polarity, which states that everything has its poles and its opposite. And although at first glance, opposites seem different, they're actually identical in nature. So if we were to consider the colors black and white existing on a scale, the convergence of the two colors is gray. And the same thing goes for hot and cold. They seem like opposites, but we're measuring the same thing, which is temperature. And as one converts into the other, there is a merging that takes place, which we experience as warmth. And again, the same thing goes For emotions, if you think about love and hate existing on the same plane, there are different degrees of love and degrees of hate, and the in-between is like and dislike. And sometimes these things mesh so much that you may not even be sure of whether you like or dislike something. And I'm sure everyone can think of at least one example where even if it was a momentary point in your life where you once may have loved someone and through various circumstances that love somehow transformed into hate. So you can see that there is a connection within each polarity and one end of the pole exists only because there is that opposing end that holds it in place like an energetic force. And for those of you who are familiar with the laws of physics, the first law of thermodynamics states that energy cannot be created or destroyed. And I'm sure so many of you guys have heard this over and over again. So it can only be converted from one form to another. So oftentimes in physics, we learn that potential energy changes into kinetic energy. And this is where transmutation of energy comes into play in terms of spirituality, because it involves the shift between energetic states. So with all of that in mind, let's move into some ways in which we can begin to gain emotional mastery. So the first step is to obviously begin to get to know your emotions. So emotional stability comes from illuminating our fears and insecurities and involves a conscious awareness because if we can't even name the emotion that we're feeling, how are we ever supposed to overcome it? And this is where most people often get stuck is because instead of identifying the emotion, they just want to suppress it or move past it. So don't be afraid of feeling the emotion in order to identify it. This is a very important first step. The second step involved in gaining emotional mastery is recognizing your emotions as energetic frequencies in the body. So if you think of emotions as energy waves, 
If you overlay an opposite shaped wave on an original wave, the original wave is canceled out. So in essence, you have changed the vibrational frequency of the wave. And this is often used when it comes to sound in particular in offices. If you want to cancel out one noise, you drown it out with another. So this is where white noise machines exist to cancel out conversations within doctor's offices or corporate settings. Otherwise the, the sound from one room would travel unopposed to another and you would be able to hear very clearly the more private conversations. So if we were to apply this concept to emotions, technically, if you were to identify the initial negative emotion, you can oppose it with a positive emotion that can then cancel out the original negative emotion. The third step is to identify the body sensation related to the emotion. So if you get stuck on what emotion you're feeling, start by identifying how that's showing up in your body. Are you feeling a tightness in your chest? Is it a racing heart? Are you feeling it in your gut? Identify the body sensation and then begin to release it. And there are many different ways that you can begin to do this. And the simplest form is any form of exercise or movement. Now, what I like to do for my patients in particular is to incorporate acupuncture into their protocols. So as we're moving through a lot of these mental, emotional blocks, we're also moving through the situation energetically using acupuncture because that's helping to move the energy through the body as well. So it's a very tangible change that they can feel instantly in their overall mood and well-being. The fourth step is to pause between the feeling and action. So instead of reacting, we are choosing to respond. And really emotional intelligence is all about how well you digest the information you're given in life. So pause for a moment and allow your nervous system to regulate and begin to reframe your mindset. Now, something that I find that's very valuable when it comes to a mindset shift is to stop viewing conflict as something that is negative and instead begin to look at it as an opportunity for growth and self-mastery because clearly something deep within is being ignited for you to have a charged emotional response to a particular situation. So to use more specific examples, if you are feeling stressed, you can shift your mindset by focusing on what you can control and let go of what you cannot control. If you're feeling down, you can shift your mindset by acknowledging the feeling and then doing something for yourself to help uplift your mood. If you feel like you're not good enough, you can remind yourself of your strengths and then take smaller steps to improve other areas in your life. And this list can go on and on because it's very dependent on the various situations that are taking place. And in this particular step of this pause between feeling and action, mindfulness becomes very important because emotions stem from a sensory input. So either through seeing, hearing, smelling, or thinking of something, this has impacted your overall emotional state. So what you need to do is you need to bring yourself back to the present moment in order to ground and reassess to take a more enlightened approach to the situation. The fifth step is to distinguish between polarity versus duality. So instead of finding opposition, you need to find common ground. Instead of finding differences, you need to find similarities and begin to view your emotional states along the polarity scale that I discussed earlier so that you can understand that you fully have the capability to shift emotional states. You just may not have had the tools to do so in the past. And a really good example of this would be 
Um, if you could think of a time in your life where you were extremely angry and then that anger somehow shifted into sadness when it was either suppressed or just you weren't able to express it effectively. So it's very possible to shift emotional states, but most people are just stuck at that level of shifting from one negative emotion into another because they're closer in terms of energetic frequency. So don't allow certain cognitive distortions to cloud your vision and for you to see things as either all or nothing or black and white or good or bad with an unwillingness to see the shades of gray that can exist. Now, if we apply this concept of polarity to the mind, the left brain is responsible for linear thinking, facts, logic, thinking in words and um, analytics and sequencing, while the right brain is responsible for creativity, emotions, feelings, imagination, intuition, um, and arts and nonverbal cues. And if one dominates over the other, you can guess at the type of personality that would be exhibited. So the main point I want to get across is that holistic understanding and true wisdom come through the balance between the right and the left brain, where we have intuitive thinking and balance between rationale and emotions. The sixth step is to understand that life is a recalibration act. So this is where emotions and experiences come in waves and it's up to us to not get swallowed up by the wave, but to recalibrate and regain balance and calmness. So recognizing that everything exists within you. And if you didn't carry pain deep inside, no one would be able to trigger that pain. But if you have buried your pain and you're constantly running away from situations that reignite this pain, you're not running away from the experiences, but you're actually forever running away from yourself. So the experience has no power over you and all the emotions that you feel exist within you. No one has the power to make you feel a certain way. It's your interpretation of things and the stories that you're attaching to those things that's making you feel various emotions. The seventh step is all about the healing journey. So to become a master of emotional regulation is to really embark on a healing journey where you begin to recognize childhood patterns, the various voices that run on autopilot in your head to begin to gain awareness of the default patterns and programs that you tend to fall into when you are, when your emotions are heightened. And to become familiar with the flawed patterns of thinking like victim mentality, jumping to conclusions, generalizations, and so on and so forth. So beginning to work with a professional that you resonate with to help process your thoughts more effectively is a fantastic first step. And then on your own, you can begin to work on this at home in terms of journaling to help filter through your thoughts and your body sensations and including various other spiritual practices into your daily routine is just a fantastic way to just begin to process and honestly just travel through this healing journey. So when you begin to heal, you begin to act from a place of empowerment instead of a place of fear. And empowerment comes through knowledge. And through that, you begin to approach life with a gentle curiosity, which is so important when it comes to gaining that emotional intelligence and mastery, because you create your own patterns of thinking and learning and experiences. You reclaim your power by shifting your focus onto the things that you can control, including your 
emotional responses and who you choose to surround yourself with. And then further, you engage your thoughts with empowering questions about what you want to experience. So instead of asking, why is this happening to me? Instead, you reframe it to something like, is this accurate? And what can I do to shift this instead? And through healing, you recognize that life is a mirror that is constantly reflecting back to you, your innermost beliefs. And so you end up drawing in experiences that are there to help you grow and evolve. But if you don't see them as that, and you continue to blame others or make up stories, you'll just end up remaining stuck in the same conditions over and over again. So the healing journey goes hand in hand with the journey towards self-discovery in that through unraveling the most painful stories, we discover that we aren't our wounds and that there is a healed whole version of us beneath it all. And with that, let's move right into this week's episode prompts. Prompt number one is, of the five primary emotions, which do I find easiest to express? Prompt number two, of the five primary emotions, which do I have the most difficult time expressing? And prompt number three, what types of dynamics cause the biggest emotional reactions within me? All right, friends, thank you so much for joining me on another episode of the Sovereign Soul Podcast. I really hope that you enjoyed this week's topic. As always, feel free to share this with your family and friends. And I hope that this episode reaches the people that it needs to in the exact timing in their lives when they need it the most. So until next time, I wish you guys a beautiful rest of your week.